Welcome to Inaudible. I'm your host, Jeremy Wyland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Reddy. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the long tradition of contact with the Confederation of Planets in service to the One Infinite Creator. These messages articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution, popularly known as the Law of One. Many of these messages are available to listen to on our sister podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. We seek to provide analysis and commentary on this philosophy describing these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. However, we are not counselors, gurus, or experts of any kind. So please evaluate our words in light of our shortcomings and use your own best judgment. Thanks for listening. Hey, Nathan, how's it going? Wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. We're uh, recording on New Year's Eve. And uh, we've gotten through the holidays for the most part, and uh, it was a little bit exhausting for me, but uh, I'm uh, I survived it, so I'm doing good. You have uh, good holidays on your end? Yeah, just a very relaxing. You know, we had a bit of a cold snap here in Southern California. It got down to like the 40s. Can you believe? And uh, <laughs> I know it was much worse for the rest of the country, but uh, yeah, just uh, just enjoying life. Yeah, it got down to nine degrees on my end in Virginia. So that's about as low as it goes. <laughs> that sounds really cold. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was like minus something with the wind chill, but you know, Hey, I heard from uh, Steve Timon that uh, it was like minus 20 where he was in Colorado. So it could always be worse. That's insane though. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 So this is a good time to move into the channeling that we wanted to talk about, uh, which is, uh, February 9th, 1986. This is uh, a Kuo. It's one of the first Kuos because Kuo first identifies themselves in 1986. And uh, it's funny. There's a lot of cool stuff that happens in 1986. I'm thinking of uh, doing an intensive study of this year because it's when Kuo comes in. It's when we have a contact with Monka, who is uh, an entity that I'm interested in learning more about uh, precisely because they claim to be like sociologists whose expertise is in community. And that's something that's really interesting to me. <laughs> so uh, I might be looking into uh, Monka a bit more, um, but we're talking about Kuo now, good old Kuo, old fashioned. We all know Kuo. Um, and this, uh, this session is a lot about, relating to phenomena and the relationship that the phenomena has to love and the heart. And I think this is a really important topic for seekers because it's easy to take something like the law of one philosophy or Buddhism or atheism or any of these things. And to think that walking the path means doing Buddhism or doing the law of one or, or doing these outer things. And we were just having a top a, a conversation about the symbolism of life, and so this is going to get into some of the uh, the ways that the spiritual path symbolically engages with our beliefs and our and the phenomena of life, and how to how to relate to this stuff. It's all about how to relate and the perspective to take on it. So, uh, any intro you want to give, or you want to just jump right in? No, let's let's go right in. Here is Kuo. We would speak with you this evening upon love. It will not seem at first as if we are talking about love. For what we wish to do is gaze with a clear eye 
at what many among your peoples call phenomena. The more obvious of these phenomena are those so-called occult arts of astrology, tarot, and those who work with the trance state in inner-level work, as opposed to the work with those influences which are external to your planetary sphere. We would not wish to discredit either the art itself or its reality, if we may use that term within an illusion. <laughs> the energies or vibrations, much like waves upon a pond, which emanate from your whirling spheres, especially those relatively close to you as you whirl about on your island home, enter the planetary energy web at certain points which may be calculated by those with the bent and the time for such calculation. Further, these in-streaming energies affect each entity upon the planet in a unique fashion. Therefore, there is validity in prophecy by astrology. Nor would we wish to deny any other form of prophecy of a personal nature which an entity may find helpful. However, we would like to examine the situation where one gives information and another receives it. The one giving information is doing so in one of several ways. By this we mean that it is not necessarily a sign of spiritual advancement, as this instrument would say, that one is able to use some means such as astrology or cards to tune to the planetary energy web's emanations as they impinge upon an entity. It is rather an indication that such an entity, as you may call psychic, has in its past incarnations worked in these areas. One would not consider, for instance, a world-class pianist to be spiritually advanced, although the depth of emotions which such an artist may offer his audience may be a spiritual experience far too deep for words. Such transcendent talents are the result of more than one incarnation spent in the development of that particular characteristic. All right, it's been three paragraphs, so I'm just going to stop. Um, any thoughts, Nathan? So I think I understand the gist of what this is saying, but to be frank, there's one line that came up when I first read this and it's coming up again that uh, maybe you can shed your thoughts on it. So it talks about basically you're the first paragraph when you say we would speak with you this evening about, uh, sorry, we would speak with you this evening upon love. The more obvious of these phenomenon, sorry, it will not at first seem as if we're talking about love for what we wish to do is to gaze with a clear eye at what many amongst your peoples call phenomenon. The most obvious of this phenomenon is the so-called occult arts of astrology tarot. And here's the part where I have a question. Quote, and those who work within the trance state in the in inner level work as opposed to the work with those influences which are external to your planetary sphere. So the way that's constructed, it seems to suggest a contrast that those who work within the trans state in the inner level work as opposed, so the, on the other side of the contrast, is to those who work with influences which are external to your planetary sphere. So it's drawing a contrast saying those two things are different. That's my understanding. And so I think it's close to trying to say that both of those are not phenomenon or are they both phenomenon or is one phenomenon one and the other not phenomenon? No, I think they're saying that both of them are phenomena. It's just that they're trying to be distinct about this kind of phenomenon, right? Those who work with those influences, which are external to your planetary sphere are the astrologers. Right, right, right. So in my opinion, like all this is a, all this is subject interpretation, but like what I think they're saying is that when they talk about trance state inner level work, 
They're talking about things like channeling. They're talking about things that don't, okay. that aren't arts that use a lot of tools, gotcha. like that tarot cards. You know, no, no, that, that makes sense because later in the in the channeling, it's specific or it's in this uh, quote specifically talks about that channeling itself is phenomenon. Yes, so that definitely um, puts into perspective. Bingo, bingo. Um, so yeah, I mean, in general, I I I, uh, I definitely have noticed this in my personal life. In the sense that um, I think everyone on the path, if they listen to their intuition, sometimes they'll be drawn to or put into contact with people who have some of these occult gifts for whatever reason, right? Um, for example, I think people who uh, are psychic about the past or whether you want to call it – I mean in a certain sense, we're, we're cha- we, you've done channeling, right? Mm-hmm. But specifically like um, – Akashic record reading things who are psychics who read about the past or present. I'm personally, I'm not too interested in the future, probably because I believe that nothing in the future is fixed. But for whatever reason in my path, maybe once every few years, I've come, I've been, I've resonated with someone who does, you know, Akashic record readings and I've gotten readings of my own. Um, You know, at this point, probably three or four readings in the past 10 years. And what's interesting is, uh, people who don't know each other don't know anything about me. They've given me very consistent readings as to like my path, uh, you know, basically what I came in here to incarnate from. So I found a lot of use for this. But what is also interesting is sometimes I always like to do my background, right? I'm like, who, who the hell is this person I resonate with? What's their situation? And I've definitely noticed that it's not necessarily related to them necessarily being super evolved or very high on the path, right? It's, it's a skill. Um, having those occult abilities is a skill. And so I totally, totally, uh, understand what Ko is trying to say or is saying, because I've experienced that in my life that, um, there's people who are very gifted, right? In these areas, but it doesn't. And I think sometimes, at least in many forms of mysticism, you know, you're taught. And I, and I think maybe even for me, there's an expectation that, the closer, you, the more and more you work you do, it'll automatically manifest in some abilities. Um, and and maybe that's true, but abilities also manifest in people who don't, who haven't necessarily done the work, but have just done this sort of thing maybe in past lives. Does that make sense? Uh, and I think that's what Quo's trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think that is exactly it. Um, and Ra even talks about this. You know, some people have the ability to bend spoons and it doesn't mean that they are more enlightened than you are just means they remember something from past lives that you don't remember um and sometimes the energy that the way that energy works with consciousness is just different for certain individuals and others right like there's a lot of variety involved in 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 the mystery of of reality and existence and creation and um like it just isn't always fair like we would like to think that someone who can prophesy is somebody who uh, has worked and attained some sort of like virtue that makes that possible. And I think it's important to decouple the 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 the, the skill, like you were saying, its capacity. It exists on its own terms. What uh, those of Kuo are going to say later on is that if it doesn't have heart in it. If it doesn't communicate love, if it doesn't come from a deep place, then it's only phenomena instead of what life can be, which is phenomena reflecting the, the, the fundamental reality 
that's, that's hidden from us, our direct observation. This is why I think channeling is a feature of consciousness in general, because consciousness can be restricted to a density or subdensity of vibration, right? It can stay in this area where, like, for instance, we're only tuned into things that are happening materially to us. So we're only tuned into our job. We're not thinking about the emotional dynamics of our family when we come home. We're just, our attention isn't there. I guess maybe attention is a good way of talking about it. Our attention can be very fixed and our attention can be very broad. Consciousness can adhere to this focus, whether it's narrow or broad, but channeling is a way of saying, you know what, I'm going to go outside the confines of a given vibration or a given area that seems normal, and I'm going to bring something outside of that uh, uh, quantum into it. Consciousness exists everywhere all the time throughout the creation. I, I mean, I think the, the Confederation describes consciousness and love as essentially the same thing. So channeling is just a way of expanding that consciousness across the boundaries that we normally keep our consensus reality in, both ours individually and ours as a collective. Um, we are mutually reinforcing the nature of this illusion that we're in with each other. And channeling is a way in which we break that conditioning and reach a little bit outside to bring something into it that isn't part of that band of, of that frequency band that our consciousness is in. Does that make sense? I, I totally agree. Um, uh, I'm just wondering how you're going to link it back uh, to phenomenon, or is that going to be that's going to be later on? Oh, I make no guarantees about linking anything <laughs> up. Sometimes, sometimes I just rant, and uh, you know, if you've been listening for this long, like you know that, dear listener. Uh, um, but uh, I. I, I think the big important thing to, to think about here is that um, these, these, these phenomena are not what really draws our interest and attention. It's the love behind it. And by connecting with that love within us directly, we are able to offer that more and more often so that whether it is completely conventional phenomena that expresses that love, completely esoteric phenomena that express that love, or maybe not even any phenomena at all. Like the love comes through. Right. We are more and more learning to look for the thing under the surface and to focus on that rather than focusing on the waves that it creates on the surface of the water, right? Exactly. So, so one thing I do want to mention, and I, I, I let you know, Jeremy, before we started this, uh, I'm very interested in, in uh, this topic of, that Quo is discussing uh, and what we're going to be talking about today. But for me, this is actually something, the concepts that we're talking about right now is something that I've been personally exploring more in depth in the past year. And I'm still figuring it out, frankly. I mean, we're all figuring everything out. But specifically in this area, compared to maybe things we've talked about in the past, this is an area of personal growth for me. So I'm, I'm going to be probably asking you more questions no, 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 than no. I'm going to be commenting you, on them. See, see, this is great because it's, your, it's our discoveries of this stuff on our own terms, not on Jeremy's terms or, or some other teacher's terms, but like our own terms when we grasp it and engage with it. And we have that unique understanding of it that only we can have. I want to capture that. I think that's much more valuable than me trying to like recapitulate something that I thought earlier. Besides the fact that like I still struggle with all this stuff all the time. Like I can intellectually describe and model it, but can I live it? Yeah, very, very imperfectly, it turns out. 
Uh, living living it is is hard. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, but uh, we continue to try. Uh, all right. So, so we've established what the nature of these talents or skills are, um, and that they don't necessarily. Uh, they're not necessarily evidence of some kind of spiritual rank that we should we should uh, uh, that we should honor. So let's continue. Kuo says, "Phenomena is another way of saying things. It would be a poor argument indeed to debate the possibility that spiritual advancement is aided by things. We speak to you thusly." because we are concerned to notice that there is within the community of those who seek the emphasis on knowledge of the near future, knowledge of one's past before birth, in other words, knowledge of things. The spiritual stance cannot depend upon any thing. It is, we feel, natural and comfortable that one with the talent for some sort of phenomenon to share it with those who request it. In this way, such an entity is being of service to the best of his ability. But to live one's life as a seeker, dependence upon anything outside the self, is to have denied the self the greatest opportunity for learning that there is, and that there is, and that, and that is the untutored and unbiased circumstance. But to live one's life as a seeker, dependence upon anything outside the self, is to have denied the self the greatest opportunity for learning that there is, and that is the untutored and unbiased circumstance. In other words, we suggest that it is in one instantaneous reaction or action to or in the face of circumstances wherein the great opportunity for spiritual evolution lies. All right, we got to stop there. Now, so I, I love this paragraph. Yeah, this is what's up. It, it really spoke to me. I highlighted everything. Um, so I've seen this in so many different places in terms of how true it is. Uh, I've known a number of people who, you know, everyone's learning, of course, and everyone's at their own stage in their journey, but a number of people who use the knowledge of past lives or get future predictions that almost energizes uh, many things, but I would say it almost energizes the inner distortion of victimhood and that there needs to be a future savior and it almost takes away... um, attention from the just the present moment right like oh th- this happened in one of my past lives so that's why i'm this way right now and uh, i'm f-ed or i can't change it or it's gonna be really hard to change and you know it and it almost like it it it, it removes a sense of personal responsibility it adds a sense of powerlessness powerlessness and victimhood not that knowledge inherently of your past life has to do this but i've noticed that it, it happens for more than one person i've noticed so i i kind of and after seeing that, I kind of understand maybe why this knowledge is hard to access or not. Uh, we don't remember it upon birth, right? It seems that it is. It, 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 bottom line, it can be a distraction, and in my opinion, it is a distraction for a lot of people, right? Yeah, um, it's kind of it's kind of not fair though, because we've just been talking about the way in which life can be interpreted symbolically, right? To work with. The, the material of our lives, ourselves, our distortions, our biases, all that. Well, to focus on phenomena is to externalize, to, to focus on phenomena of like, you know, fortune telling, tarot, astrology, these, 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 these systems. What we're talking about are systems that regularize our understanding of things. So it's not this grand mystery in which anything could happen, but we're starting to, to, 
we're starting to see a reality in which certain patterns obtain, and we can reason about these patterns to help people. Um, it's a little cruel to say, well, your life is a symbol, but you can't but, but if you uh, focus too much on these outer phenomena, you're, uh, you're, you're going to be distracted, right? Like, well, which is it? Is our life symbolic and, 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 and educational to us on a spiritual level, or is it not? Because if it is, shouldn't I be relying upon my life to teach me? And these systems, by definition, or, or as, wouldn't, that, wouldn't it follow that these systems would help me understand the symbolic material of my life? That's where I'm so, going. So I, I think that's a, a great point, but this is this is why, uh, for me, it, those your point or um, the seeming inconsistency is not yeah. inconsistent. Is that for me, at least in my personal journey, I've never been that interested in past lives and all that stuff. Those three or four readings I have I've had over the years is basically at the constant prompting of other people who are spiritual in my life, and I'm like, okay. You know, I'll, I'll probably get requests from others that I should get a reading probably like four times a year. And, you know, in a three-year period, there'll be one instance where that prompting, I'm like, wait, I actually seem like I resonate, like it just feels right. So I've never placed importance on that stuff personally. But what I've noticed in my personal journey is that, um, you know, as you, as you, as you walk the path, Sometimes this information does become available. And I think the reason it does is because perhaps you're mature enough to then look at that past life, look at whatever that happened that you normally would not have access to in a symbolic nature, right? But if you're given that information before you're used to right. doing that, it, I think it can, it can um, be more harmful or distracting than helpful. Yeah. Like I think if uh, the internet had existed at a time in my seeking very early where I was trying to find my way more and really interested in the phenomena that Casey talked about in his readings of crystal mm -hmm. weapons and diet being so foundational to everything. And, uh, you know, Atlantis and, and, and past lives and all that. Um, it would, it, it, it was easy enough to get wrapped up in it when all I had were the paperback books on my parents' shelf. I can't right. imagine if there were like mediums that I could contact directly over email or YouTube or TikTok or something like that. You know what I mean? It would be a lot easier for me to get wrapped up in the phenomena because the phenomena is directly is so available to me, right? Absolutely. And I think there's a maybe part of our animal mind and also part of like just basic third density consciousness that is very, very interested in uh, phenomenon. And, you know, it's almost like, um, I just, it just, we're just, we're, we just like looking at it. It's like, you know, maybe that's why we like watching some of us, uh, not me, but some people maybe just like watching reality TV. It's just like, it's, it's just distracting phenomena. It's kind of cool and interesting, but it, does it actually move the needle in terms of your own personal journey? Um, typically no, but if you get to a certain point where you start viewing everything symbolically, you could probably learn from reality TV. But the thing is, if you're, if you're starting off with, with consuming that sort of stuff that just is usually used for distraction, it's hard, right? It's hard to use that yeah. in, a, in, a, in a way that uh, builds you as opposed to just distracting you. Yeah, the point of, of, of experiencing life symbolically is that you always have to go back to the self to see how that reality pings off of your inner nature, right? right? So it really, the idea is that the act of interpretation engages that inner self in the outer conditions to make sense of it. What is being, uh, what is issuing from that process? It's always something that is within you, 
Absolutely. But it's also something that's without you because you are one with everything. So yeah. the, 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 this is why I think the, the, uh, the general metaphor of dance is used by the Confederation and, and I find so much utility in it because it, 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 it requires you to see this as a dynamic uh, uh, process, not a fixed goal that you attain and then the, 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 the drama of history and incarnation and creation is over when you attain that goal. No, 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 no. This is a dance. And it's not, it's not, it's not uh, obvious to the waking self that that should be right. We feel that the point is to attain enlightenment or to attain some goal, to, to attain some good state, and then we're done. Then we don't have to suffer anymore. Then we don't have to worry anymore. We're on solid ground. But the spiritual traditions tend to tell us that there is no such thing as solid ground. And therefore, we are always floating in midair. We are never fixed to anything. And therefore, we, 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 uh, what we try to perceive and experience is fixed. It says a lot more about us than it does about the conditions out there. Yeah, it, it- I think it just has to, it has to be a dance, right? Because in a certain sense, it's the unification uh, or the seeming unification of the paradox of the finite with the infinite, right? Yes. So it's, it, I don't think there's a one-to-one mapping where you just, you can just do it. It has to be a dance. It has to be. But here's the thing. If you think of your life as having that grand of a process involvement, that grand and uh, all encompassing of a purpose to it, uh, it's hard not to take it seriously and it's hard not to feel a great sense of responsibility. You, you now, now it's almost like how could you possibly waste any moment? And so there has to be a balance, right? Because we're not here right. to drive ourselves into the ground with, with spiritual work, even work in consciousness, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's why the dance analogy is so great because it's supposed to be enjoyable. And, you know, it, a part of it is it, it's a light touch, right? You, mm-hmm. Now, when you're starting out, especially, is maybe maybe a heavy focused, more serious approach to spirituality can it can it yield results? Absolutely, and be useful in a seeker's journey. But I, I think you, you should never be. Uh, it's really important to 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 do this in a light and enjoyable fashion because part of what we're learning is how uh, it's not supposed to be. Li- everything's not supposed to be f- life or death. You know. It's, yep. It's a lighter touch. Yeah. If you think about like, I find uh, learning to ride a bicycle as a good analogy because what, what learning up to ride a bicycle is largely about is how little you need to do to maintain balance. Right. But until yeah. you have those crashes and you realize that turning 90 degrees left, and 90 <laughs> degrees right makes you crash and that what you need to do to balance is so subtle. And it's like this very, very, it's moving your hips and moving your weight in this very, very uh, small but important way. And you're learning to sense these little conditions and when you need to lean this way or lean that way. Right. How could you possibly intellectually explain that to somebody? You can't. Yeah, yeah. Like the only way you can do it is by being in it. And I think that's how things work in the spiritual path is that this balance is something we have to feel. We think yeah. that it's about following rules, but it's not. It's about the rules help us discover the feelings in ourselves. Ab- and then absolutely. we throw the rules away because we can go off the feeling. It's Yeah, that's, you, you know, uh, that's why the term personal relationship is thrown around so much. Because yep. it, it is that it's it's that feeling that you, that of 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 that interaction. It's not a rule set. And I love the I love the bike analogy. 
um, you know, because and to extend it, uh, <laughs> and maybe you'd agree this extension or not, is that once you do get really experienced with the bike, you you can do almost a ninety degree turn. Yeah, if you're trying to do that at the beginning or whatever, you're gonna fall flat in your face, right? Because you feel so, it, and you can't feel yeah. it before. Um, exactly. And so what we are talking, or what what I believe Kuo is talking about, is the idea that some of these systems can be related to as if they can be depended on. I can depend upon astrology to guide me. I can depend upon uh, law of one podcasts to guide me, right? Like I can depend on the, like they're not talking about not using it at all. They, they, they ascribe value to these phenomena. What they talk about is dependence. What they talk about is using them as training wheels. So you never, ever learn what that balance right. feels like. Yeah. It's no substitute for that, um, just that personal feel, that inquiry into that personal feeling and that personal connection. Yes. And, and that's why one of the things that I try to instill in seekers to this podcast, I try, I say, um, <laughs> is a sense of curiosity and engagement in adventure in life. When I first had a, a big awakening experience, that was what captured me, was how much of the spiritual mystery that lay before me in my life was like... Mine. It's mine to seize. It's mine to find out. Like, and it's my engagement in finding that love. Like that, that it was so clear to me at that time. And that's what I've been trying to get back to ever since is that clarity. Um, and I, and, it, and I think that's why I keep returning to this channeled work because it is in this work that I see it so clearly for other people. They see it clearly in the Bible in the Bhagavad Gita or any other number of the Quran, uh, in a novel, you know, it's everywhere. So it's just your biases that help you identify it in one place or in another, in one phenomenon or another phenomenon. I, I would, I totally agree. And speaking of which, um, I just, you know, I read the Bhagavad Gita, I think 10 years ago or something, but, um, pretty early in my spiritual journey. But then I, I re-listened to uh, the Bhagavad Gita as translated by Eshwaran um, <laughs> like two weeks ago. And it's it's just amazing how similar it is um, to the Law of One. Uh, I, 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 you know, having read Law of One and Quo and a lot of stuff, I would say it's not, um, it's not as, uh, it doesn't go as in-depth. But it, it, dude, it's like it's like the reading from the same same book. You know, it's 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 definitely the same philosophy. Just you know, given in that context of if you don't know anything about the Bhagavad Gita, of basically um, a wise chari- a wise charioteer advising the a prince on the eve of war as to how he should feel, or basically the the prince is going through kind of a personal crisis because it's it's a war of succession, and he's like. My uncles, aunts, and family members and friends are assembled on the other side. How am I going to go through this? Like, how is it right to kill them, even though, you know, my king is actually in the right in terms of the actual succession? Uh, anyway, it's it's definitely interesting, but um, it's uh, it's very important to kind of um, be able to connect with the meaning behind whatever you're reading and really engage with it because it's. Otherwise, it's just phenomena, just things. It's it's just those training wheels you never take off, right? And yeah. you've got to take them off in order to really, um, really understand, I think, what we're talking about, frankly. Yeah. The point is that you want to be able to live a life that is both human and spiritual at the same time. These phenomena are 
are vectors to recognizing that desire within yourself. But there's a point that comes when you recognize the desire in yourself as primary and the tools that helped you get there as mere uh, conveyances to that, right? Absolutely. And I think, I think that's maybe like the way we can summarize and move on. <laughs> You and I, we take a lot longer than me and Ryan. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all right, man. Very, very loquacious. Content, content, content. All right. Um, <laughs> let's jump back into Kuo now. Let us look then, not from the standpoint of the one who receives prophecy, but one who generates it. Each within this room has generated spiritual material for the use of other seekers. Each, therefore, has accomplished a phenomenon known as channeling. We do not need to tell each of you that this in no way distinguishes any channel as one spiritually advanced because of its skill at being a channel. Let us go further now that we have... Cons- <laughs> I'll just put emphasis on that. Channels are not necessarily teachers. Either they bring through a message that's useful or they don't, and that's the end of it from the Confederation, right? Yeah, and, and um, on that point, uh, I think people often have the misunderstanding not just with channels, but with anyone. And I, uh, you know, in undergrad, I, I did a double major in philosophy and you often see this in people talking about philosophers or just talking about anyone who espouses a philosophy is, um, they, their personal life might not reflect the information that they're, uh, talking about. And it, it's, it's complicated, but sometimes the information is, is, in a lot of ways should be analyzed or considered independent of the speaker. And it's hard to do that. It's really hard to do that. But just because they're saying something that's true doesn't mean that their life is going to be amazing. They're very spiritually evolved, right? Right. But it's easier to believe that they're either all true or all false. And that's, that's where I think people run into problems, right? Right. Cause then and, you don't have you... to do the dance of interpretation and discernment, Right. Right. And you you also see the opposite. You also see people who seem very spiritual. I think in my opinion, you see this with a lot of maybe um I I can't really who knows for sure, but gurus who perhaps are more are, are just not as connected, but maybe more interested in the acquisition of wealth or status and are doing it maybe for that purpose. And but but outwardly they're living a very spiritual life in like, you know, they're they're not using their money on flashy things. They're living very simply. They're not eating extensively. They're just renouncing a lot of things, yet they might have a large following. Uh, and yet they give out some spiritual philosophies, and you actually listen to the philosophy, you're like, that doesn't sound right. And it confuses people because they outwardly have all this phenomenon. They're doing all these things that seem spiritual. They're renouncing worldly goods. They're renouncing um, you know, uh, sexual intimacy, being celibate. And you're like, wow. You know, they must really know what's going on. They're so close to, they're doing all this spiritual stuff. They must be very close to the source. And then when you actually hear about their personal philosophy, you know, like you, you're actually like, wait, you have to renounce, you know, or whatever, whatever the distortion might be there. So the reverse is often true as well, right? Yeah. Marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we're lied to so much in this world. Why shouldn't, why shouldn't a spiritual teacher engage in it too? Yeah. I, it's, it's a, it's a sad tragedy. I I agree. And, and, there's a lot of cynicism out there. I'm I'm cynical. I'm cynical as crap. And you know, having been in business circles, I don't think necessarily the best marketers are not necessarily ones who know they're lying. They might be lying, but they lie to themselves, right? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'd also say this to the best witnesses who 
are maybe mistaken, but they honestly believe what they're saying is they've lied to themselves about what happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There they was, just, there was a court case I saw. I mean, but I know it happens so often in DV cases, right. Where like the victim of a domestic mm-hmm. violence thing recants 12 hours later, they need to be yeah. thrown in jail for everybody's good. And then 12 hours later, I can't live without them. I need to have them back. And yeah, like you can make yourself believe that, um, if you're lonely or just, you know, that's the pattern that you're, that you're used to. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, channels don't trust them folks. <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I'm happy to leave it there. <laughs> no, it's, that's yeah. Don't trust me. Cause like what you're looking for is something that's resonating within you. Yeah. If, if, or don't don't trust blindly. Yeah, right? don't trust blindly. Yeah, no, trust yeah. yourself. Like, trust this, yourself. This is the thing. Like meditate, and then you can trust yourself, right? Because you know it. You've looked at it. You've looked at the and, bad, the good, all of it. And hey, it's not going to always be you know uh, an easy journey. Like expect when you start this journey, you're going to mess up, and that's okay. Like don't don't set yourself up for the standard of oh you know I'm just going to you know really try to uh, start trusting myself. And then, you know what, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to make wrong decisions. You're going to make bad decisions. You're going to make terrible decisions, but that's part of the journey. Failure is an inherent part of the polarity concept of success. And you have to be comfortable with the idea. And this is, this is one of the other many concepts I feel like as a society we've, we've lost sight on is you, if you, you can't be afraid of failure or you can be afraid of failure, but don't let that stop you right. from engaging with it because that that's the only way you're going to see success in many things, including the spiritual path. Yeah. Good point. Jumping back in, Kuo says, let us go further now that we have considered both the one who receives prophecy and the one who generates it and consider the things, the phenomena of the illusion in which you dwell. This instrument has spent a significant portion of its intellectual concern during the past 24 hours, your day, considering how much it desires to do a thing that will brand it as one who cares. This instrument has considered that it would be a valuable thing to do. That which this instrument wishes to do is to walk for the cause of peace for many of your months. And we say this to the instrument and to all who feel that the great quest is best taken as a literal journey, that neither this nor any other thing will necessarily make an entity progress spiritually or be in any way more polarized towards service to others or service to self. To be more extreme, one may consider those who give all that they have to the poor, thus becoming poor. One may consider an entity who makes a great sacrifice in order that it may advance spiritually. The phenomena of your experience revolve around such insubstantial words as power, glory, money, and so forth. And because seekers dwell within a physical illusion of this certain type in which outer things are seen, a fruit is seen, but the originator or planter or cultivator are not. It is not surprising that entities wish to do things to both express and encourage spirituality. We say to you that you must turn from the outer manifestations that meet your senses. Turn from your own opinion of yourself, your own judgment of the fruits of your spiritual labors, and from any and all prophecy having to do with your probable future, and instead join the great darkness of the sea of mystery which surrounds and expresses the gateway to the spiritual progress. You cannot see or hear or feel or taste or smell anything in this darkness. You are, shall we say, without feedback as you progress upon a path that is narrow because it is only the span of footsteps. There are no things to carry. Why do you think the spiritual path is so narrow? 
If it needed to be wider, it would be. It is your metaphysical feet touching the very stuff of spiritual reality that walk the path of the seeker. There is no luggage, there is no rest, and there is no turning back. And so you walk on in darkness, each of you berating yourselves many times for your lack of spirituality. All right, cut in here. Um, any any uh, initial thoughts, Nathan? So, uh, Quo will talk about this later on, but uh, yeah, it's it's really, it's really, frankly, to me, it's always been really annoying how the more you are on this journey, there's you don't get regular feedback outside of yourself and your own personal connection, right? It would be so easy if there was external feedback, constant external feedback, but there isn't. Um, and Cole will talk about this later on, but sometimes there's feedback, but you can't, you can't rely on external feedback. It just, it's, it just doesn't seem like that's how it's set up, at least not constant immediate feedback to whatever you do. It's like, it, it really, the only feedback you can get is really just getting more in touch with yourself and, um, your own personal compass and your heart and, and letting that guide you, you know? And honestly, that's, as a person who's very historically, before I even turned to spirituality, very perfectionist, focused on results. It can be really frustrating. You want to know, am I going the wrong way or not? And you just got to be, you got to learn to be a little bit more patient, turn to your inner inner self and um, just be able to dance with the mystery a little bit and be okay with that. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a tough thing and it isn't really, the toughness of it isn't mitigated against in our philosophical approach to these matters. Fundamentally, everything is ungrounded, mysterious, unknowable. Um, even the path is unknowable to a certain extent. We can't necessarily capture it and show it to somebody. Um, and, I think that what they are trying to say here, in, in addition to what you just pointed out, uh, is that we have to embrace this mystery if we want to grow. Because the whole point, in a, in a way of speaking, if, 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 we, if, if we understood more of this mystery, we wouldn't be so afraid of it. We wouldn't be so reticent to plumb it. And this mystery is, in part, what the creator is trying to understand about itself by going through this whole drama of creation and separation and manifestation. So um, in relying upon phenomena, we often think that we have a bulwark against uh, the chaos of darkness and nothingness. I think that chaos of darkness and nothingness is very aptly uh, dis or, uh, illustrated in the... Uh, Matrix of the Spirit, tarot card, um, which is normally called the Devil, and we actually had some uh, working group channeling that that talked about this uh, in session seven of the last uh, uh, channeling intensive. If anybody's interested, but I don't want to focus on that. Uh, this idea of reconciling what is stable and we can like kind of hold on to in our lives versus the mystery of everything that's a, that, that we have to explore and to accept as self is a really hard balance to keep. And um, 
I think there's a clue of how to relate to it in this talk about the fruits that they speak of. This is the thing that really stood out to me about this entire session. Um, where did they say it? It's in the bottom, uh, last sentence, oh. last two sentences of one of the paragraphs. Yeah. It starts with to be more extreme. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the, the phenomena of your experience revolve around such insubstantial words as power, glory, money, and so forth. And because, because, here, I had it in my notes all the time. <laughs> because seekers dwell within a physical illusion of this certain type in which outer things are seen, a fruit is seen, but the originator, planter, or cultivator are not. And this is the way in which time introduces confusion into our process. In a, in a, and this is a salutary uh, effect because it allows us to have a sequential experience of starting from darkness and working our way to light. That journey is what's valuable to the creator. The creator is already in the light and the dark. <laughs> it already is one with everything. What it wants to know, in my opinion, this is Jeremy's opinion here, but it's that journey that only we, as unique parts of the creator, take that is informative and that offers up to the creator new insight into itself. Um, given that, given that we are kind of instruments of the creator's self-exploration, we need to recognize that often what we see when we look at phenomena out there to orient ourselves, we're seeing the effects of things. Right. We're seeing the fruits. And we think that we just fall. I think they put it very aptly, but it's very, very difficult for me to get it without thinking about it a lot. So I'm just going to give you all my interpretation. You know, they say um, something about tracing fruits back to the seed. And that's not how it works. The seed and the planting and the growing uh, uh, come before the fruit. And we are trying to be seeds ourselves of fruits that we will not necessarily consume. Others will consume in the future. But we are uh, trying to be part of this forward process of going within the darkness within, the mystery within, accepting it learning what's there. And then as we explore this darkness within and without the darkness, that is the mystery of the creation and learn more about it. We are at the same time going through a process of growth that allows for us to express that truth that we learn that much better, that much more poignantly, not through our words necessarily, but even through our actions and the way that we change our, change our relationship to our own lives. Um, this idea that we just have to find the right system out there, the right creed, the right uh, philosophy. And then that will help us work our way back to the love that inspired it originally and the person that first expressed this philosophy. That, that is an, often a, a, a roundabout way of going about it. Find it within ourselves. Then when we see a path expressing it, we know what to look for. We're not trying to like take, for example, um, let's say the law of one. Take it as a given and then work back to try to find what the fruits are, or sorry, what, what, what the love was that generated that. It's much better for us to let what we see in the law of one that, 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 that calls to us, find that thing within that is being called to, understand that, and use that as our foundation to, to, to work with reality, whether it's through phenomena or, or not. Have I made any sense in all of that? Yes. Okay, yeah, good, yeah. good, good, good. 
Because no, no, I, I was I was starting to lose the thread, man. And like, I hey, I know it better than y'all do. <laughs> no, no. So I, there's one uh, specific point about um, what this what this relationship with the with with the self, the inner self, and um, being guided by the inner self and by the heart. I wanted to um, make a comment and maybe ask a question on that point. But before I get to that, I think. I have to read the next paragraph because it really goes okay. into what I'm going to talk All about. All right. Let me just, let me just sum up uh, the actual spiritual import of phenomena is the entire process from beginning to end and not just you finding it at the end of it or at this point in its emergence from love and saying, oh, this is the way things are. No, you have to look at the entire thing. You have to look at how it, it evolved from something, just the way that you're love and your approach are going to evolve from something and go back to that root within you because that's the thing that you're going to connect to that thing out there anyway right okay go ahead so 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 what i wanted to pick up on the thread is what is that root within you Mm -hmm. and how does that feel and um how how many different sorts of feelings are associated with it so let me just read the next paragraph uh because it kind of comments on it uh from my perspective How you people love phenomenon, but within the darkness that is complete lies your heart, beating without sound, gleaming that light as you intensify and intensify your seeking to the point at which your inner beating heart is manifested as the star of hope, the beacon of faith. Can you then see? You can see the star. At that point, that is all that you can see. It does not shed light upon your path, but upon your own seeking you have planted that which is no thing but which is a symbol of light, the light that shall shine until there is no darkness, the light that is without time and without space. Footstep after footstep you walk on, lighted by a dim but very real star, a star kindled within your heart and within no other. Walk on in majesty, walk on in humility, walk on in trust, for you are not alone in this darkness." You are not alone upon this path, and you are not beguiled or mistaken in seeking light. When you reach past the phenomenon to touch your own heart, it is then that you have placed your feet upon the path. So I wanted to comment on this because, you know, Ra specifically says understanding is not of third density. I think mm-hmm. they use the word uh, not of this density, but it's referring to third density. Yeah. And for me, the word understanding involve, very much involves the mind, right? Right. Um, you know... Uh, if you're familiar with the archetypes, you know, a central archetype is uh, of Tarot from the raw perspective, uh, from the archetypical mind is the the fool's journey or the fool, right? And that's kind of like the choice. But it's not just, for me, that represents a lot of things. It, basically, if you're not familiar with Tarot, it's basically this guy who looks like he's packed for a journey. He's stepping off a cliff, <laughs> right? And there, I think there's a crocodile behind him, but he's not afraid of the crocodile. He's just stepping off the cliff, right? Um so for me, there's a lot of faith and you're stepping into the unknown, into, into mystery. And you talked about the spirit archetype. So I, I just want to make it clear for people who haven't um, started this journey. And I can only describe this from where I'm at. So at least from my understanding right now, and maybe this will change, is the inner self that guides you, that star, you know, that, um, that star of hope, that beacon of faith. It's not the same knowing that you have with the mind about external phenomenon. It's sometimes connecting with your inner self to guide you. You're going to be like, I still don't know what the hell to do. You might have a small inkling, but it's not like a full knowing that the mind and ego are used to. 
it's in my opinion it's very rare that it's that way especially the further on you get it gets more and more subtle where it's almost like a vague feeling i would describe it just the best way to describe it is like a vague feeling from your connection to spirit but you still don't know <laughs> it's not like i'm 100% certain maybe on rare occasions it is but i find for a lot of stuff it's still that continual walking in the darkness you know that something is guiding you but you really you can't always put it into words for any given decision right it's not going to be like logically oh yeah you know i i looked inward and then i heard a voice and it told me this or i looked inward and i felt like all this energy over my body maybe in some limited circumstances it'll manifest that way but it's more like for me for me it's more like when you have a when you when you really meditate and you're trying to figure out trying to be guided it's almost like you open your eyes and maybe there's just there's just this it just feels right to do this, to do one of the two options you're contemplating, but you don't have any reasoning or 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 or, or really strong like logic behind it, you know. And so it's it's still it's really being comfortable with that uncertainty that you talked about earlier, right? Yeah. It's not it's not like oh I'm just gonna tap into my inner self and I'll just I'll just off know as I would with a logical mind. It's a different sort of knowing, one that is very much a dance. It's very much walking in darkness, guided by a dim uh, a star, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was also a little bit off-put by the, uh, by the star analogy, because it didn't announce what it was representing clearly to me. Um, and I think some of the diction and grammar here is a little weird. Um, but basically... It seems to me what they're trying to say is that your heart is is the irreducible place that you touch down into from which all other recognition of truth and divinity arises. It is when I talked about a tuning fork before. This is like the 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 the, the most the, the the end of the tuning fork that you hold maybe, right? actually where you start to register it um you see a star at that point it is all that you can see when you tap into the 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 heart and it's brokenness in our lives right like it is not just all love it's also hurt um but it's also it hurts in it in it and it feels uh true uh simultaneously right like it has it has meaning and necessity to it that you cannot find in phenomena outside yourself. And what I think this uh, session has been talking about is the primacy of the experience of one's own heart over the primacy of the experience of things outside of the heart. Right. That we build from the heart uh, our approach to reality more and more as we look within. We see what's real and what's not. We see what feels true and what's not. Not because we're, we're, we're gifted at looking within, but because everybody who looks within and is honest with themselves are going to find closer and closer approximations of that essential truth within them. And there's no other instrument that you have to judge what is for you and what isn't. They just that's all you have to go on. At the same time, if you touch down into your heart, you are touching into a part where you can't even, if there was somehow a possibility that your heart was wrong, how would you know? 
You have no other connection to truth and reality, but that most basic part of your, of, of, of your, of yourself. And so if somehow your heart were wrong, well, too bad. That's all you have to go on. Right. Like, and, and, and early on, you're going to sometimes think you're going to get it wrong. Sometimes you're going to think, and that's okay. That's part of it. You know, you learn by falling off the bike occasionally, you know, when you're, especially when you're first starting. Well, what I mean, what, yeah, I I totally agree with you, but what I'm trying to say uh, is something slightly different, which is that people often wonder how they should try. Like I was talking with a seeker uh, earlier this week. He's like, how, how should I know to trust law of one and not Christianity or Islam? Like how would anybody make this decision? And I was like, yeah, you're absolutely right. How would anybody make this decision? There's nothing outside in them right. that announces itself as true. But have you ever had experience with truth? Because if you delve into those, they do lead somewhere. Yes. And you can tap into that. The, the Part of what the spiritual process is all about is being able to tap into that heart at will. So we can bring its truth to bear. It, the heart isn't necessarily going to tell us how to do it. But it's going to like there's a there's a quo quote that says um, it is not that uh, it is not that love will tell you what to do. It is that love will help tell you how to do it with love. It's not about the heart directing you any more than your mind directing you. It's coming into a relationship where they share power. And you're yes. sharing power. You're sharing directorship with all these different parts of yourself. And you are learning to trust them. They need to learn to trust you as a waking personality too. There's a reason why these barriers are built within yourself. They are to protect you from your own power, in my opinion. That's part of it. It's your protect because we are, we created and destroy, we can create and destroy the universe because we are the creator. So we erect these barriers to keep us from immature in an immature fashion using our powers of creativity and destruction too wantonly and uh, recklessly. But as we become uh, more familiar with our true selves, with our deeper selves, these resources become available and they become instead of these vague things that you were talking about, they definitely do. They do definitely do have this like intangible, indefinite quality to them where you're not quite sure what's going on. But keep doing the work. And eventually, in the same way that people who have come up with phenomena like Tarot and Christianity and other systems have used that initial inspiration from the heart to fashion something in the outer world that approximates and reflects it, you will use your life that way. You will use your life to express those things in your heart. And more and more, you'll start to see a harmony between what's going on in the outer and the inner. Not completely. Yes. I'm not promising anything. What I'm talking about is a general vibe, a general yeah. pattern of seeking. That the archetypes, that the spiritual traditions, that all of these things that have hints of truth and heart and love in them, we think they're out there, but they're just reflecting what's already in us. And that's why we recognize them. I was telling this guy I was talking to uh, the other day, like resonance is not just something that happens within and it's not just something that happens out there when you recognize something. The whole point of resonance is that both things are vibrating. It's sympathetic vibration. If you see something out there that seems that catches your attention is, wow, this is, this really speaks to my heart. Like it's your heart that's doing the work. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's your heart that's doing the resonance. So like if you look in your heart, you can start to get a more direct experience of what it is that would be resonating truth that would strike you as something worth paying attention to in the first place. And do you see So like what I'm trying to explain also is a way in which life starts to slowly become it never stops being a mystery, but you do make progress because you start to see you start to see that uh, things that were once symbols um, that were imperfectly uh, uh, marshaled into your life become more and more things that you can uh, not not depend upon, not rely upon, but that greater truths, greater lessons become available because you have some engagement with this stuff. You're paying attention. You're, you're, you're touched into the nervous system that can relay all this information to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a strange way, sometimes in my journey, it seems like um, the most subtle feedback you get that there's been progress made is just analyzing the nature of your catalyst. <laughs> like, are, are, you, are, the, are the same lessons over and over? Or have you noticed that stuff that used to bother you because you've done the work you know, um, with, through all the, all the various things, uh, tools available and, you know, heart-based seeking, you know, has it moved on to different stuff? It's a catalyst. It's coming on stronger. You, you, yeah. It's funny that once again, there's often no feedback on any individual uh, decision and there's no objective feedback, nothing you can point to your, I mean, you can prove to your friend or someone else that this is happening, but for your subjective reality, there is some sort of like loose, it's almost like reality starts to break down, but yeah. not in ways that you can prove to other people, you know? So yeah. once again, it's like, it's because you can't prove it, it's not purely stuff that the mind can grasp, mm -hmm. but it's stuff that the heart can, yes. you know, in a certain sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, you change the terms upon which life is being lived in the first place. And then what's good and bad, what's painful and uncomfortable, they change. They don't stay the same. Yeah. And like, that's the thing. I think that's a big thing with us is that we, as animals, we seek comfort and seek to get away from discomfort. But as we learn uh, to listen to the spirit complex, as it is newly available in third density, we learn that comfort and discomfort aren't going to destroy us or save us. Comfort doesn't make us happy and discomfort doesn't always make us sad. It's not always a bad thing. We learn to re to adjust how we relate to life and the phenomena of life, the way that it is uh, 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 reflecting our lessons. We learn this different way of relating to it. And we learn that there are imperishable abstract ideas that overarch all of this. And that the only way they come into existence is through our effort through our ability to focus and bring it to bear. And so what are we going to bring to bear with this creative power that we have innate in us? Are we going to bring the truth of our heart? Or are we going to bring our think the things that keep us from looking at that truth, right? Absolutely. And I do both. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we all do, right? We all I mean, do, right? It's a dance. Like you can't be, you, you can't sit in the monastery all day. At some point <laughs> you got to get out there and beg. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, and I think this is, uh, continued in the, in the next session, but I'm going to read the last sentence of the last part you read because it's so foundational. Kuo says, when you reach past the phenomena to touch your own heart, it is then that you have placed your feet upon the path without this heart. 
All actions are without spiritual reality. All fruits are withered in the merciless glare of the spiritual sun. You see, the fruit does not become the plant, which becomes the seed, which is then sown. That is not the way of growth. And yet your people so often consider their spiritual path in just such a reverse manner, first looking at the fruits, wondering how to arrange them by asking for phenomena, and working backwards to the heart that sows the seed. This is what I was, uh, I thought we had already talked about this, but we hadn't. Uh, we but this is yeah. what I meant. Um, there was, and I have a lot to say on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, why don't you jump in? I was just going to say, man, like, uh, so, uh, you know, I've, you know, I've worked in places where um, it attracts a lot of people who really want to uh, help, help others, right? Help others in a phenomenal sense. And that's fine. Yep. But you often see, I've seen this at nonprofits. I've seen this at, you know, public defender agents, uh, organizations, basically that there's an over-focus on the phenomenon to such a point where the people who are doing the work they're filled with just being fatigue and it manifests as anger, impatience. They don't have a lot of love with the people they're working for just because they're, they're overworked and they, they believe in their mind that they can do the most good by overly focusing on the phenomenon. And they've, and they've long lost touch of their heart. Maybe a little, obviously they're still connected a little bit because they're doing work that is, doesn't pay them well necessarily, but, but ultimately when you when you overwork the self and you and you say I'm not doing good enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm not staying late late enough, uh, you know because because there's more cases that need work on that could be helped. You're shifting. You're you're totally connect, breaking off that connection with your heart, and you're just totally operating on a focus on phenomenon. Now I'm not saying that's horrible, but in terms of spiritual growth and whether you're actually spreading love. To me, it's questionable because you're, you're you're just focusing too much on the external reality. You're not focusing on, you know, the internal reality, and it shows in how you yeah. interact with clients. You're, you're these people often. You're hateful. You're annoyed. You don't have patience. And yes, you might have helped them out with with whatever case they might had, but they often don't leave feeling like you've treated them like a person, right? Yeah, it's like it's like that uh, that homeless person you described where they got the dollar thrown at them, and they're like, "I didn't really want this experience." Exactly. I, I, we want, I mean, when you're hungry, you want food, but on a deeper level, what you want is love. Absolutely. And the food is the expression of the, of the love because it meets the need. And like, that's the level at which these things are symbolic. That's one way of looking at the symbolism. It's a very, very crude way, but like, I think it, I think it, I think it works. And, um, like the reason is, is because that love is the generator of all of the stuff of, of value that comes later. Absolutely. In, in the same way that the creation itself, the universe itself is creation of love and the love preceded all of that stuff. Um, it's, it's the same in our lives. We are looking, what I see them talking about are people who look outside themselves for help and the peril of that, because obviously all of us do it. All of us look outside ourselves for help in some way or another, and there's nothing wrong with that. Guilty. Yeah, all of us. <laughs> yeah, we all and do. Honestly, like the, the the Confederation says over and over again, you don't have to do it all alone. You should be looking for help. You should be looking for assistance. You should be relying upon your brother and sister. Um, but at the same time, there's work to do before you can do that in an effective way. 
There's work on yourself to do in addition to seeking help. And the more work you do on yourself, the more that outer help will make sense and resonate on a deeper level. It is a dance once again. You can't pick cold or hot. You can't pick black or white, up or down. You need both. You need to go in all 360 degrees. And there's probably some other like fifth or sixth dimension you need as well. And like, that's the thing. It's complicated. Are you going to intellectually figure out how to do this? Or are you going to open up to your greater resources so that you can be the thing that is needed by the creation instead of the thing that you can handle in your head? Are you going to let your head be the, be the, be the ceiling beyond which you cannot do anything? You cannot be anything? Or can you tap into that deeper well of beingness, that deeper well of love, and let that take some of the burden off of you? even if you don't know how it's all going to turn out. We're talking about faith, right? In a certain way. This thing that we keep wanting to do an episode on and we keep finding a well, way not to. Right. I, and, you know, it depends on where you are in the spiritual journey, but uh, sometimes there's, there's, it's hard just to connect to your heart if you've never done it before, right? If you're burdened by, you know, daily fears about how you're going to pay rent, um, you know, if you're, if you feel like you're a worthless individual, if you, don't understand if you feel like you have no power and you're a victim, that's all going to really make it hard, not impossible to access your heart. And uh, that's why I love the law of one material, but certainly other, you know, um, Hindu mysticism, I wouldn't say Hinduism in general, and certainly Buddhism. And there's probably others just, I'm telling you what I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. They actually talk about, Hey, you know, the heart is very, very important, but if you're having trouble opening it, maybe, maybe focus on these lower energy centers so you can move the energy up there naturally and organically. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, it's all kind of like, it's, um, it's, it's, it's all very interconnected. And I think it's, uh, it's very important though, as you mentioned, to understand that once you're working with the heart, it's, it's not going to be about mental understanding always, you know, and yeah. that expectation is going to, if you have that expectation is, is going to hold you back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's something else in this, um, the working backwards versus working forwards that I wanted to point out. Um, it is a way in which they are expressing the spiritual use of time. That time is this medium of transformation that we can start to let work, let it work its work and trust that it is bringing about goodness, things that are uh, of benefit to us. Um, we want to kind of like work outside of this growth process and get directly there. Oh, I just need to buy a thing to be happy. I'll do that. Oh, I just need to do a spiritual practice to be happy. I'll do that. Right. It's like these things aren't necessarily wrong, but they elide the, the investment that time demands, right? Time allows for things to sink in. It allows for the, things to sink down to the roots of mind of mind and to affect us on a deeper level than we operate consciously. Um, we see fruits out there. We see things that are love or that seem like love or seem like evil or seem like goodness or badness, but we don't understand what created them. We don't understand their full story of how they came from a place of love. They had to, or they wouldn't be real. So we have to look deeper and we have to trust in a process that will expose this deepness, that will 
lead to greater things. I, I really have been thinking a lot lately about how the problem with pain and suffering is that when you're in the throes of it, you don't think you'll ever feel anything else. You can try yes. to imagine that you'll be happy, but it's so, it, 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 it flees before your grasp. Like you're stuck there and you feel in, the, in all of the, the, the despair and flailing comes from this feeling of being trapped in a negative situation indefinitely. We, none of us have ever been trapped in a negative situation indefinitely. Like nobody in the history of the world has ever been there. And yet that is how our psychology works. So we are working in a way uh, to sort of fresque our spiritual path in spite of this animal psychology and to look for those deeper things and to start to rely upon them. And then the outer things don't get abandoned. They simply become reflections of something that we always have at hand and we can always connect with. We don't need a guru to, to bring it to us. We just, need, we just need maybe the guru to, in a moment, reflect it. But we recognize who's make, the master who's making the grass green. It's not the guru. It's not the teaching. It's not even Jesus out there in his it's spiritual Jeremy, form. Just, it's Jeremy Weiland. Hey, <laughs> hey like 2022, the, the truth finally comes out. <laughs> yeah, no, I like I have often wanted to start my own sect of the Moonies, and this would be a perfect way to do it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But um, more information to go. No, <laughs> like uh, looking into your heart is so open ended a thing to suggest to somebody. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, this is why I think those of Ross say when they were asked, "What's the right way to? Me- Will you tell us the right way to meditate?" They said, no, (laughs) I'm not going to, no one's going to tell you the right way to look in the heart. It comes from desire though. Yeah. Desire plants the seed. Desire is the form of love that can kick off this process and bring things into manifestation. And what we're trying to do is instead of bringing physical or things that are observable as such in the manifestation, we're bringing things that carry love, that have love tangled up in them. And so they're always able to be, there's something there for people to get something out of. And hopefully they feel it before they recognize it, right? Not because what we're doing is right for them, but because what we're doing starts their process of finding what's right for themselves. That's the key. Absolutely. And one thing I wanted to mention earlier, and it's come up again, is so words are very imprecise. Language is very imprecise for these langu- for these concepts we're talking about. So you and I, we can say a phrase and we know exactly if we've experienced it, we know right. exactly what it means. So for example, a phrase that we often use, and I, and I want to offer an alternative way of describing it is, you know, um, basically if it feels right, once you connect to your heart, if it feels right, right. But I think another way to describe it is it, it's not, it's almost, I would describe that, that knowingness is, a, is, is once you start connecting to your heart, it almost opens up another sort of perception, like another sense that is not necessarily like emotional feelings necessarily. It's like another perception. It's like a knowingness of the spirit. So when we say like you connect to your heart and it just feels right, we're not talking about feelings like love, hate, you know, um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. It's a different, I would say it's almost like a different sort of perception. You and I both know what we're talking about because we've experienced that. But for people who are maybe new, it's, it's not like an emotional feeling it's more like uh, you're able to perceive things from 
spirit because the, the heart is the, is, the, is the portal to the spirit, right? Yep. Yeah, I think uh, you got to want it. And you got to want it. Life is designed to bring you to that point where you want it. And you seek for the thing that you want more and more in a more and more focused manner. Um, so it's always going to be difficult for us to say, once you find, this is what you're looking for. The heart is, is kind of like a variable that contains whatever it is that we mean when we say heart, right? Like it, it is a, it is a container for that thing and it can't be contained. So it's a way for us to sort of like, cause like the way that I tap into it is almost certainly like if I were to be you, it would feel different when you do it than it does when I do. Oh, Absolutely. And it yours has probably like different aspects of it that mine that mine lack and vice versa. Um, so it's not something that I can spell out for the listener and just say go do these things other than silence. Like get to know the equipment with which you are doing all of this learning and living yeah. and suffering and all that. Like we're afraid of that though. We're afraid of what that says about our personalities. It might. I think in a lot of cases, one of the things that kept me back was from looking within would be that if I look within, I'll find nothing. Now, I will say, that's true. I did. <laughs> I looked within <laughs> and I found nothing. At least nothing that I thought was me, right? Yeah. Um, but because uh, like my personality is not real. Jeremy is not real. Like I am a... I am behavior patterns reproduced in a consistent enough way that you can recognize me as a coherent person. But if you talk to me 20 years ago, I would seem like a very different person. Um, I am a, I am channeling an idea of a personality called Jeremy and yeah. uh, it is not fundamental, but, but it comes from a place that's fundamental because otherwise it wouldn't have any reality. So, Touching into that more real part of ourselves allows us to be more real and to be more real with others and hopefully to plant a seed and to show them something that they might want to pursue on their own terms in their own life in, uh, uh, in ways that matter to them and not me, right? That's why it's so hard to like, that's why I don't even want to talk about people, about the law of one with people who don't already have the desire to pursue it because I don't have anything for them. What I'd rather talk about is their path, like what they think is important and try to like, try to see something in there that I can recognize as love and share that with them. That it, yeah. It's um, to make a it beautiful thing. Yeah. To make it, to make it, to see if there's some way that I can make it more real for them. Right. In the same way that like the people that I really resonate and li- with and I like, they're, the, they're often the people who take the beauty and the love and the truth that I recognize dimly and they give me a concrete reflection of it for a moment, for just a moment. And I'm like, oh man, that's so cool. I want more of that. I want more of that. Who doesn't want more love, truth, meaning? You know, like that. So this is the kind of serve. This is what I think service really is actions, but they actions that have this thing tangled up in them. The thing tangled up in them is what people really want. 
The actions convey it or they don't. They're either better or worse conveyors of this. But they're not the thing that people want. The, 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 helping an old lady across the street like, is a reflection of love. That's why it matters to her. Absolutely. And you're saying like, no, it isn't. They just want to get across the street and they had trouble. It's like, yeah, but they wanted to go across the street because of love too. At the end of the day, love is bringing us to every end that we act out. And so we're just trying to find ways in which the actions can cut across the mentation that makes it all complicated and confused and fraught. We're trying to find a way to cut through that like a hot knife through butter with the thing that is at the root of all of it, which is love. And we have to have it. We have to be able to recognize it ourselves in order to be able to give it to others. So that's why that is, that is a great way of explaining why looking for phenomena to uncover this is not going to be as effective as looking within and then seeing the reflection in phenomena, right? Yeah. I mean, the concept of love is, I mean, it's, it's difficult to ascribe that to an external phenomenon. And so if you can't recognize it within your own heart, you're not going to be able to really effectively, you can, you can mimic or ape it externally, but unless that love is flowing through you, it's, it's some level when you're doing that act that is service to others, it's going to be hard to tap into what that actually means. Right. Right. And so like what I would say is if I say love, the listener hears something that they have constructed in their head as love. Get that out of your head. Go into your heart and let that be your definition of love instead of whatever it is that you've associated with those four letters that I've assembled into a word because that is going to be the thing that has the feeling that Nathan and I have been talking about. Not whatever it is you have in your head that you've decided love is because that's how you learn to think about the word. When I That confused me for so long. It's like people are talking about you mean when my mom says I love you, like that's what they're talking about? And it's like, well, yeah, but it's a little bit deeper than that, right? And so what we want is this depth. If we get the depth um, in our experience, then everything has a different meaning. Everything has a different gravity to it. And suddenly, like I think what – I think in modern society, people often feel like they're going through the motions, but none of the stuff matters, this is a way in which you can imbue that life with meaning that doesn't depend on having a job or having a, having a project or anything like that, right? Even, even my project of the other self is working a group. It, 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 is, it is bad or good, not based on what happens in it, but to the extent it is a channel for my love and a channel for other people's love. And that's the only, the only value it has. Not the Agreed. logo, not the website, not the institutionalness of it, right? Like I almost hate that because it's so... It's a way for me to point at something and say, that's, that's the thing that I'm doing. But like, no, it's not. It's like a crude packaging on it. <laughs> it's so tough. Because <laughs> that's, that's why um, LO research meant so much to me and why it was so hard for me to leave. It's because that's the thing that I point to to say that I do. Yeah, that's where it all happens. It's not where it all happens. But it took me a lot of heartache to figure that out, to realize... It's just within. Yeah. In any case, uh, let's go ahead and move on. Kuo says, what a treasure your hearts are when they love. I beg you to love. It does not matter that you do not love perfectly according to your own judgment. It does not matter that you do not love all the time. 
it matters that you see your inner state of love as the cornerstone of your existence, your seeking, and your destiny. For this universe is one thing and one thing only. It is love, the creative love. The one original thought is love. It is within your heart that this love is reproduced so that you become creative also. And when you are creator, what shall you create? Do not be concerned, for you have planned, each of you, what your service shall be. And you have been given grace sufficient to enable you to do what you have planned. What thing is it that you shall do? Many are those who feel that they are of no spiritual worth because all they do is work, love their children, and die. And yet we say to you that you may well have prepared this as your mission, as your lesson, as your offering of love. There are those who have come with larger missions, larger in the sense that more entities will hear of the fruits of their particular labors. This in no way distinguishes one love from another, one fruit from another. Insofar as each fruit or manifestation takes part in love, just so is each fruit equal. For unbounded love and limitless light are all that there is. And whether you extend love and light upon your little ones or upon some more dramatic object, you have loved and love is all that there is. And this is a really important point that recapitulates a lot of points I was making earlier. That's the problem with the serial read through is that I take it as a whole and I commented on it as a whole, but the whole point is that we're supposed to be taking the reader through this interpretation. So I apologize if I anticipate things, but it probably, it probably ties things together a little bit as much as it confuses people. I don't know. No. So there's one thing I like about this particular, this last paragraph you read is that, um, you know, it talks specifically about missions um, for, you know, people who incarnate and that some people have some people's missions involve seeing certain fruits of their labors. Others don't involve uh, apparent uh, external fruits. And Bingo. It just it's it's frustrating for me at a personal level because I I've gotten the message from spirit. And frankly, I, I know it's true in my heart that a lot of my work, at least early in life and in the present moment is not one where I'll see a lot of uh, spiritual fruits. Um, and, you know, I'm sometimes guided to do stuff where I still don't see the spiritual fruits and my mind and ego still get frustrated over it. <laughs> you know, I just, but I, I still do it because I, I let my heart, heart guide me. But, um, you know, it's being comfortable with mystery. It's being comfort, comfortable with uncertainty. I feel in my case, it's being comfortable with a certain level of, discomfort or annoyance at spirit <laughs> i'm like come on dude like give me some feedback i've i'm doing all these things right but uh, it's just the way it is you know it's just the way it is yeah there was something that i've read today uh because i'm going through the uh archive of ll research newsletters this is where i started my read through um and it has it's great because jim has taken all these excerpts out of the channelings of a whole quarter and just assembled them in one place. But it was talking about, um, it was a, it was one of these, uh, Hatan sessions where they tell a story. Uh, and it was about a banquet and this enchanted land where people saw this, you know, sumptuous, huge feast in front of them, but none of them could eat it. And what it, it, I'm, I'm summarizing, but basically a teacher told, showed them how to eat it. And the way that you eat it, is you pick something, they would, they would try to reach for a fruit or a piece of bread and it would vanish in front of them. And he was able to grab the fruit or the piece of bread 
And instead of trying to eat it himself, he gave it to another and the other could eat it. And they learned that the food could only be eaten when one offered it to another. You couldn't eat it directly yourself. You had to be fed by another. And that, I just thought that was such a great example of how these things work. We, uh, they're, they're, they are, their value is realized dynamically by being given away. You know, Ross says, those of Ross say, uh, it is, uh, what do they say? Things not come to positive entities, but oh, through yes. them. This is also one of the foundational things that made me think of how important channeling is. Channeling is a general dynamic in which love is given away and somehow mysteriously you get more of it by giving it away, right? Yeah, you keep yes. it flowing. It's almost like an economy, right? Like, like <laughs> yeah. if, if, if too much accumulates at the top, the economy can't work. You have to keep things flowing through. You have to keep that currency yeah. flowing. Um, yeah, we're, we're basically spiritual Keynesians here, right? <laughs> I just, I just triggered some people there, but yeah, I'm, you, I, you guys did. know I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, shoot, even Austrian and, and, and Friedman economics talks about cash flows. Give me a break guys. But, um, yeah, it, this, this idea that, uh, you know, as insofar as each fruit or manifestation takes part in love, just so each fruit is equal. Like all of these things that are going on in our life that are expressions, better or worse expressions of love, um, all have potential in them. And they all have this character of the creator in them. If we have the eyes to see meditation and touching into your heart within balancing your distortions is Magic because you change the way that you perceive and you change your mode of beingness in some way that you recognize. The creator always see, already sees you as perfect. The point is for you to start to see yourself as more and more a reflection of that perfection in spite of your flaws, in spite of your mistakes and all of that. And when you look at it that way, what the heck does it matter if you're in the Peace Corps or at Goldman Sachs? Both of those situations Politically, I see a difference, right? But on a fundamental spiritual level, there is always an opportunity to show love in what you do. Yes. And uh, I, have a, I have a guilty confession to make. Uh, so one of the ways I, I cope with, um, the, or have my, my mind and ego copes with the fact that uh, it seems like I'm guided to do things for which I don't see the fruit of, is uh, I think there's a, uh, a theory in physics and I, I don't know how um, widespread the theory is, but this idea that there's infinite alternate dimensions where every single probability of an event plays out. So there's some, I think the classic examples is there's somewhere, you know, someone else won world war two. And so one, one guilty cope that my mind probably uses <laughs> is the idea that, Oh, I, I don't see the fruits, but that's because it happens in an alternate dimension, regardless or not, if that's true. Um, I, I do think that, it's it is important to kind of just learn to to not expect that and um to be more comfort with what we've been saying all along which is just that um that dance with the unknown with the mystery of of infinity frankly kuo says your journey as seekers is indeed one which must be pursued in solitude within the deepest portion of your being and as you travel this path, you shall find that there is a greater responsibility which shall be necessary for you to assume in the sharing of the fruits which you find on that inward journey. The seeker cannot be aided in such a manner that work is done for it. 
Yet as it travels this path and removes the distortions which separate it from understanding, there must needs be a sharing of this growing fruitfulness, else the path shall not be able to be continued. For this path, though traveled in solitude, is one which unites the seeker with all, and the reflection and manifestation of this unity then requires the seeker to go out into that world which is hungry and naked, sick and poor, to point out the direction to sustenance, clothing for the soul, and the support of creator to creator. Never forget, my friends, the one thing that is missing in that kingdom beneath the waters of your illusion in the enchanted land where the illusion gives way to the first view of reality. That one thing, my friends, is the creation. To reach for it is to lose it. If you reach in solitude to offer it to another, you manifest it. And in the world of manifestation, does the enchantment become the food and drink of the spirit? Man, I feel like I should go into this session now. <laughs> but what I mean is that that whole thing of like, we are looking for the fruits and trying to trace backwards to their source when the fruits have already been given away from that source. Our job is to give away fruits from our source and, in, and we have to give it away. You can't hold on to it. Let's go ahead and finish up this session because we've been going on for a damn long time. <sighs> The energy drains from this instrument. That's a yeah, yeah, yeah. semi inside joke. If you've been reading a lot of channelings, they sometimes say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We appeal to you, Kuo says, to meditate without judgment of yourself or others, to accept phenomena as they enter your life, to use them, to be alert for them, for it is well to receive the many hints that you will give yourself concerning that which you are to be doing, that which you have planned for yourself to do. We earnestly implore you to grasp that this channeling is also a phenomenon, that our words are things. We cannot prove our love to you, nor can we say it, and you must realize that our words are nothing but shadows flitting across the inside of your mind. They may be without worth for you, and if so, we ask you to discard them, to shrug them away, and to move on. Our love for you is part of our spiritual path. Your love shall be yours." May all that is true and beautiful in your mind and in your heart be a blessing to you. May you dream, may you seek, may you love, and may you know that you are not alone. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, the extent of this session. Uh, so they end by talking about the, the, the usefulness of meditation in recognizing and participating in all of this stuff that we're talking about. And the ability to use the, the material of life and to trust the plan that was pre-incarnatively pre put in place so that you can do this work. So you can start from where you find yourself right now and work towards evolution and progress and improvement and closeness to the creator. And that this is also the way that you connect to the creator is by going within and then sharing that with others and sharing in a way that allows them their free will and therefore isn't about proselytizing. That's not the kind of sharing I'm talking about. It's the love inside of that proselytizing that matters. And therefore, if we know that that's the love that matters, we can put that into our actions. We can put that into our consciousness. We can think those thoughts and condition ourselves to think love and then we can be there for each other and they can be there for us and we can all walk this path together well said
Well, good. Uh, the interesting thing is that they start in the questions with Latwi at the end, uh, they start to talk about LL Research's uh, first uh, interest in spiritual community. And uh, this starts to uh, get off the narrow topic that I wanted for this session. Um, but since community is something I have been hinting at wanting to work on, uh, I just want to read one more part from the question and answer. Latwi says, as one wishes to do that which is most appropriate within the incarnation in regards to being of service and to learning those lessons that are, uh, blah, and to learning those lessons that are one's pattern, it is well to balance the great desire to accomplish these two goals with a lightness and lack of concern in order that one may remain open to the influence of the creation about one. For it is sometimes the case with the over-serious seeker that it will try so hard to be diligent and correct in its movements and thoughts that it will develop a type of tunnel vision that is overly focused upon a matter to such a degree that the spontaneity and wide-ranging viewpoints suffer. Okay, I don't think this is really relevant to what we've been talking about, so I'll probably cut this out. But I, there is a relevant point, though. I, I actually highlighted this as well um, that I thought was important to mention. Is, you know, uh, so to kind of preface Latwi's response, it's in basically in response to Carla asking about, hey, you know, we're thinking about this idea of community, but it's a, I forget the phrase she uses, but she basically says something, to, this is to paraphrase, it's a heavy decision, right? There's certain responsibilities, obligations if we start this community, and so, you know, we're trying to decide and, you know, well, you know, um, basically, what are your thoughts on it? And I found this true. So I think this is very true and applicable to, to many things people do on the spiritual path and even starting the spiritual path is that at least for me, I've always felt like, oh, man, you know, if I start, uh, for example, I consider channeling, right? I'm like, man, this is a heavy responsibility. And, 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 and in a certain sense, it is. But the more you focus on the heaviness and the responsibility aspects, the more I think you end up focusing and falling into the trap of being fearful if yeah. you fail in some obligation. Right. And you're allowing then fear to enter into the 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 thinking and the feelings surrounding that. And and as we all know, um, fear makes it more difficult to access your heart. It makes it more difficult to be in touch with spirit. And so it's fine, I think to 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 understand you can have a a decision that involves a lot of a lot of moving parts but i think if you're at the place where you you start to worry and you're fearful of falling short of being able to fulfill that which is human thing to be concerned about but understand that that sort of thinking can actually uh uh make it harder to access your heart and to access that spirit and so that maybe introduce a more lighter touch to that analysis. You know, don't be so heavy that you start falling into the trap of being fearful of what could happen if you make the wrong decision or, or you're not able to follow through, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The, what I hear in this as somebody who has also thought a lot about community and established communities is what, what stood out to me is that tunnel vision thing. You start to think that the whole thing revolves around like, for instance, in my view, an organization, something right. concrete that I can point to and say, this is what I'm doing. When what's really going on is the love that's either flowing through that or not flowing through that. Right. And it's a, ve it's, it's a vehicle for that. Right. And 
you know, it's it's a it's basically if you have that really strong expectation, right? So I've I've said in the past, it's insecurities, fears, strong expectations um, that really block. Really, in a lot of senses, they they all stem from certain types of fears, right? Um, and 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 they and they give you tunnel vision. And so I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Yeah, and it's so important because, and we're gonna get. I'm probably gonna get into this with. Uh, that Hatan reading I keep hinting at writing an essay on, but it has a lot to do with ambition and trying to accomplish things, accomplishing phenomena, executing things where whether they worked or not is something that you observe in the real world, right? As opposed yes. to recognizing that you're never done, that there is no such thing as fruition necessarily. You're constantly giving away anything that's ripe in your fruits. And so you are just, you're either like, like the organization, for instance, that you're building, it is not as important as the love that's being generated through its building. And you know, the, the, the concept of offering fruits, it actually just really clicked for me in the sense that it's not always, it, or regardless of where the fruit is going, right. Whether it's going to an other self or in the rare circumstance, or it's going to, Someone you don't know, but maybe it's not being used by any other self seemingly. It's just out there sitting by itself. Maybe it disappears. Or sometimes when the fruit is is given to yourself or, or you're trying to give it away, but it ends up coming back to you and you get the fruit, right? In some cases. In all of those experiences, the offering of the fruit is really an offering of service to the one infinite creator. And if you can do that on a more conscious level, because I've been starting to do that at a, at a conscious level in the past few months, it's amazing and it's completely transformative. Yeah. The ability, and like, it's not so, it's not even so much about like, like there is an intellectual component to it in the, in the sense that you're like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm trying to focus on love, but you can't do that indefinitely in a like intellectual conscious way. This is why, I, maybe maybe people might balk at that, but and I'm going off my own experience. But I know, like, when I try to outwardly serve, let me put it this way: when I try to do a service to others with a capital S, capital T, and a capital O, right? Mm-hmm. I find myself frustrating myself and getting bogged down in things a lot. Right? Yeah, I'm trying to do something that can't be done. Love doesn't actually get performed. It already exists and its existence is a steady state. What I need to do instead of trying to intellectually ape that, mimic it, is tap into it and let whatever comes out of that come out. But how can I trust myself to just spontaneously, you know, let that express itself without me thinking about it? Well, that, my friends, is the discipline of the personality. Learning to trust that you don't need you don't need to think your way into these things. You need to get out of the way. And then your thoughts become, they don't have to take all the responsibility. They become these, um, these things that ride shotgun with your heart, right? Instead of things that try to like mediate your heart or block it or, or fashion it into something that you think it should be. Right. Absolutely. I'm very uh, impressed by how much we had to say on this. I I did not plan for us to, or at least I did not plan on saying so much. So it just, sometimes it just flows, man. It sometimes it does. And, um, it flows better when I do it more frequently. So I'm going to try and, uh, uh, 
record more often. It's just been tough with the, with the holidays, you know, to get everybody in the room. We all got stuff going on. I know, um, Ryan was like out of town or something for a lot of this. So, uh, but in 2023, we're going to be, uh, trying to continue recording, get to 50 episodes. Um, and Nathan, I really appreciate, uh, you being my, uh, partner in this. Thanks so much for participating. It's my pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you for having me here. And, uh, yeah. So just want to wish all the listeners a happy new year and we'll see you in 2023. There'll be a lot of stuff going on and we'll keep you posted on it until then stay in the love and light.